it's good to come back to uh, a church that is uh, truly a family that has vision and uh, just a great community that we find ourselves uh, living in. So this morning, we're going to talk about church as... Uh, as Dan already alluded to, and by the way, I'm totally okay with the sermon before the sermon coming from you, Dan, because Dan, Viv, your family, I, there, there, are, there are few families as committed as you are to the church in so many areas, and so you do have authority absolutely to say what you said this morning. It was a good, uh, a good introduction to where God is leading us today in the book of uh, 1 Timothy. So if you have a Bible, open it up there to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple of verses there that Dan has already pointed us to. As we ask the question, is church even important? It's another one of those doubts that people have in the world about <coughs> the Christian faith and about the church. Why do we do this? Is it important at all in our lives? So one Sunday morning, a mother uh, went in to wake her son and tell him it was time to get ready for church. To which he replied, I'm not going. And she said, why not? And he said, well, I'll give you two good reasons. Number one, they don't like me. Number two, I don't like them. His mother replied, okay. Well, I'm going to give you two good reasons why you should go to church. Number one, you're 54 years old. <laughs> and number two, you're the pastor. <laughs> Woo! <-hoo. laughs> Yes, sometimes even us pastors doubt whether church is important. But is it about whether they like us or not? Is it important whether we like them or not? I think that's part of the equation. But it's a, it's a question that people ask today. Why belong? Why belong to this thing called the church? Uh, it's the final question uh, in our series on doubt. And it really is... Uh, uh, this question, a sign of the times that we live in, which is highly individualistic and consumeristic, as Dan already said, shopping for church, uh, doing what's good for me. And so part of it, though, uh, actually a huge part of it, this, this last question, is church even important, is an outflow of all of the other questions that we've asked in this series since the beginning of September. We started this series by saying that Everyone has doubts. That's normal. Some doubt more than others, but everyone has doubts. Even one of Jesus' inner circle doubted uh, his own resurrection. And so we also said with that, though, that because most people have doubts to varying levels, that the church doesn't always feel like a safe place to express those doubts. The church doesn't seem like a safe place sometimes to not have it all together. Uh, but in fact, we at Central want to desperately create a safe space for people to not have it all together, to ask their questions, to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, to experience all that God has for them in the midst of the mess, the questions, the doubts of life, and the hurts of life. We said, uh, secondly, in our series that uh, there's this reality of evil and suffering in our world, and we acknowledge that sometimes in that it feels like Jesus doesn't care and that sometimes that the church hasn't cared well for us as we have suffered. And those experiences, they can harden our hearts towards Jesus and also towards 
the church. Um, re- recently, I uh, was away, not to go back east to visit family, to be with our kids, but we were off uh, do, uh, doing a wedding, and there I was talking with someone whom I know quite well, and uh, who's had a tremendous uh, struggle with within his family, with their son, and so we were just comparing notes and talking and encouraging one another, and all of the things that he told me, I completely believed, and, and I says, yeah, I, I get it. Like, I've experienced much of that myself. It's been part of our journey, and he just... He couldn't believe that I would actually believe him because some of the story is actually so bizarre that he said people in the church, they just just don't believe me. And and it only adds to the hurt of what we're going through as a family. And so now, unfortunately, much of his time is spent Sunday morning watching NFL football with a few buddies in his man cave, right? That's what happens. Uh, We talked about uh, the relationship between science and the Bible. That was a great Sunday, wasn't it? To have uh, Paul here from uh, Trinity Western University. And when we talked about the narrative that we're being told in culture that those two things, science and the Bible, are mutually exclusive categories that no thinking person would ever believe in the Bible. And so we question the role of faith and church in our lives as a result of that. We're aware that there are many religions in the world, so when Jesus feels distant, when life is overwhelming, and when church feels like a duty and not a delight, we wonder if Christianity is, at best, just one of many paths to God, or, at worst, just another fairy tale that people, just another story that people believe. We talked about injustices in church history, which can make us very uh, uncomfortable and untrusting of the church as an institution. And finally, uh, we talked about hypocrisy. And I'm, I am certain, I'm quite positive actually, that, that you or someone you know has had a negative or a hurtful experience in church and with the church and experienced some hypocrisy that goes on in the church. Uh, I want to say to you this morning that if you haven't, you probably haven't been around church for very long. Because <laughs> it happens. And I, for one, when I'm accused of, uh, you know, the church being uh, hypocritical, I say, praise God <laughs> that people, sinful people like me and like you, have a place to go and receive the grace and the mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, amen? And to experience all that he has for us. And that's why we're gonna partake of communion today because we're all hypocrites. We all have sin in our lives. We all need the forgiveness of God through Jesus and that's why we're here. So it's no wonder that this sixth leading faith doubt in the data that we've been using to shape this series is this. Is church even important? There's no wonder that this is a huge doubt in our culture. And, you know, I want to acknowledge that church can be tough uh, for all of the reasons that I just listed that we went through in our series. But just acknowledge, too, that at times church can feel a bit, you know, straight-laced and boring at times. You know, uh, except when Pastor Chris Battle preaches with all of his shark stories and all that kind of stuff. Like, then then it gets exciting, Right. When I'm up here, it's a bit of a different story. But this really, uh, is this really, though, all of these things and that church can sometimes feel a bit boring and irrelevant, is this really uh, why the times are are changing? Um, 
because our times certainly are changing and people are finding the church less and less important. Family life used to revolve around church, at least uh, for me it did, growing up. When I was a kid, uh, let me rephrase that. When I was growing up, no, third try. When I was little, <laughs> we, some people laughed, they got it anyway. We showed up to church early. And then we had a full hour of Sunday school, followed by a very full service. I found it boring. And then quite often we had church for folks over for lunch uh, after church who would stay the entire afternoon visiting. And as soon as they left, we turned on the TV to watch Disney, you know, Walt Disney World on Sunday late afternoon, only to have my parents turn it off exactly halfway through so that we could go to the evening service. And I'm still a little bit bitter about that. <coughs> and then during the week, we went to midweek boys brigade. We went to youth group. We went to Bible studies. There were the annual church picnics and all of the other events in between in the life of the church, that was normal, but not anymore. Of all of the households, uh, at least with children, uh, families at Central uh, that attend, the average attendance is just under two times per month. We can actually track that, you know, like it's, <laughs> you know those little computers we have back there that spit out the labels for the kids? We know how often they, they come, right? And so, and so we looked at this and we went, the average household at Central will attend just under two times per month. So central-wide, you know, everywhere, there's about 1,100 people that will attend on a weekend. Uh, that means, though, that those who call central home is about 2,000, and it didn't used to be that way. So times, indeed, are changing, and the data seems to be answering the question for us. Church is kind of, sort of, important. Uh, there's a pastor and author named Kerry Newhoff. Uh, he's back east, Canadian. He wrote about why even committed church attendees, attenders, are attending less often these days. And I, I, I'm not going to go through them in a lot of detail, but just to hit the main points. He talks about greater affluence. So disposable income, high affluence brings options. Options take you away from church. Uh, there's high focus on kids' activities, especially weekend sports, and a lot of it traveling on weekends and going to games. And that is another one, just more travel in general. People travel for business more. People travel for pleasure more. Blended and single-parent families. This is, this is very significant because since separation and divorce have grown so rapidly in recent decades with shared custody of children, uh, even perfect church attendance can mean for some families only 26 times a year. That's perfect for them, right? So we have to acknowledge that. There's online options, uh, church services online, sermon podcasts. People would rather just maybe sit at home and watch the TV or listen to something on the internet or do it while they're driving to like kill two birds with one stone, right? There is, this is interesting. He talks about the cultural disappearance of guilt. I'm not promoting guilt. <laughs> the, although the Bible does, like the Holy Spirit, that's his role, right? That's not my role to induce guilt in people's lives. But it used to be that if people missed church, they felt guilty. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, Self-directed spirituality. We live in an area where we direct a lot of our own outcomes. Going to the doctor. Who doesn't check Google first before they go to the doctor? 
And then they have an appointment and they tell the doctor what the issue is. They diagnose themselves. There's a, there's a sign for a doctor's office that says this, please don't confuse your Google search with my medical degree. <laughs> so it's, it's not the same. <laughs> All right? So in an age when we have access to everything at our fingertips, we are self-directing every area of our lives, uh, including our spirituality, for better or for worse. And here's a, here's a big one that Newhoff says right at the end, failure to see a direct benefit. People always make time for what they value most. And so if they don't see church as being valuable or having direct impact or benefit to their lives, then it's not important. So the biggest reason, though, why we're addressing this question and what we want to talk about today is that many people don't see the value or the importance of church because, you know, it's become kind of sort of important because there's really a lack of clarity and understanding and even confusion about what church is. And so where there is confusion and lack of clarity and limited understanding, it's natural that you're going to have low priority because I don't get involved in things that I don't understand. So let's spend some time clarifying what church is, but also what it's not. Very quickly, the church, starting there, is not a building. It's not a building. <laughs> so uh, this, is, this is a nice building. It's the agricultural hall here in Agassiz. And it does not become a church just because we're here on Sunday morning. It is still the ag hall. It is a multi-purpose facility structure that is used for many, many things. Church is not uh, just simply spending time by yourself in nature. It is not listening to a sermon podcast. It is not a small group of two or three or four friends getting together once in a while to talk about Jesus. And then, and peop, so people use this uh, reason or maybe excuse that, well, you know, the Bible says where two or three are gathered, there I am. That's taken out of context, by the way, and misapplied because the context of that statement that, you know, Jesus made was in the rendering of decisions in a process of church discipline and restoration. That's what it was all about in the context of a local church. So, uh, so we can't use that as an excuse or a reason. Uh, church is not parachurch ministry. I mean, things that we give to and support and functions that we attend, they're awesome. And a lot of these things are great. Like, it's great to listen to podcasts. It's great to get, to get together with a few friends to talk about Jesus. Like, those are all very helpful. It's good to get away to be by yourself in nature to experience the goodness of God and his provision and his majesty. But those things are not church. So being part of Gideon's or Power to Change or the Cyrus Center or Ruth and Naomi's or World Vision or any of these things, those are not church. Church comes from uh, a word in our scriptures. This is a Greek word called ecclesia or ecclesia. It means an assembly or it means those who are called out. It is those who have been called by God out of something and into something else. The root meaning of church is not that of a building, but of a people. People. According to the Bible, the church is the body of Christ. And it's so important to understand. Uh, you see, in the Bible, we have all of these metaphor, uh, metaphors for what, uh, who the church is. 
but they're more than metaphor. This is reality. This Jesus is, in his word is describing who his people are. And so one of them is the body of Christ. All those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation belong to him. They become part of his body. And that means they're connected to Jesus, but you cannot be connected to Jesus and disconnected from his people because they're all the same. It's his body. So if you're a married man here this morning, like I am, and somebody came to you and say, you know, I don't have a problem with you. I mean, I like you. I just really don't like your wife. I can't stand her. Like, what would you do with that? So many people say, you know, I like Jesus. I don't have a problem with Jesus. I just don't like his bride. I just don't have no use for her. Whew. Think about it. This, this goes beyond metaphor. This goes, this goes to reality. And so what we're going to celebrate today is communion. It is a common union. So what Jesus did on the cross was united. He made peace and reconciliation, first of all, with himself to us. We can be united with Christ by, a, by believing in and accepting what he did on the cross, that he shed his blood, that he died there, that he was a propitiation, that he, he was our substitute where we, where we should have died for our own sins and paid the penalty, which is death, and incurred the wrath of God. God made a different way possible and he sent his, a revelation of himself. He sent Jesus Christ that he would die in our place and shed his blood that we might be saved. And when we believe in him, we are connected with Christ. We have a relationship with him. And because we have a relationship with Jesus, we have a relationship with all of Jesus, his body. And scripture says that we, the church, are the body of Christ. And so this common union is with him and with each other. And so when we celebrate communion today, I want you to have that in mind, that you are connected to Christ and in the same way you're connected to every other person sitting around you who's a believer in Jesus. So you've got the universal church, which refers to all believers everywhere for all time. It doesn't matter this morning if you're from Chilliwack or from Agassiz or from Lake Arak or from Burundi or from wherever. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're part of God's church everywhere, the universal church. But then in scripture, we find local congregations, the local church, which refers to the gathering of Christians in, in, uh, who are part of Christ's body and his bride for the sake of proximity and other certain practicalities. In Agassiz, we have five local gatherings of God's people each one having a unique expression or practice of their faith in Jesus. And today you're at one of those churches called Central Community Church. And this, and here is why this ecclesia or ecclesia is so important. Finally, the text. First Timothy 3, verses 14 and 15, we're going to look at. I'm going to refer to verse 16 a little bit later. <clears throat> but Paul is writing to this young pastor named Timothy, that he is training, mentoring to take over the church in Ephesus. And he says to Timothy, I hope to come and see you soon. He's writing to him. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, I can't get there to tell you everything, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. 
So this passage actually has three important things for us that, that tell us more about the church. Let's look at all three. First of all, church is important. It's really important because it is, because we are the expression of God's family. Paul said first to Timothy that the church is the household of God. Now there's marks of the church, but then as I already said, there's the nature of the church. The church is made up of certain characteristics, but then there is also who we really are. So the marks of the church are something I'm doing right now. It's teaching, preaching the word of God, dividing it rightly, hopefully, (laughs) for all of you. That's important. And the second one is the sacraments, and we're going to participate in one today, which is the Lord's Supper, communion. The other one is baptism. Those are the main ones. But that isn't sufficient enough to describe the church. It's what we do, but who are we? Primarily in the scriptures, the church is the family of God. And underneath this umbrella, the Bible describes the church as in this text today, in familial language, we are a household. Other places, we are his children. We are a bride. This is all familial language. Furthermore, uh, the Bible describes who we are as being a holy nation, a royal priesthood, his flock that he cares for, his body. We are a people belonging to him. The common thread in all of this is a deep sense of connection and belonging. It's what I already talked about, connection to Jesus and to his people. It's what the world craves, and it's why the church is so important. I was giving thought to this as I was flying. <clears throat> I, spent, I spent time flying with my laptop and just working on stuff, and I was working a little bit on today. And uh, you know this WestJet magazine that they have there in the seat in front of you? i flipping through it as we're getting ready. You know, I read this instead of listen to the flight attendants debrief you on what to do if that thing crashes. <clears throat> So I'm, I'm, looking, I'm looking through this thing. And lo and behold, page 20, there's a whole article on loneliness. So the world addresses it. Traveling solo doesn't mean you have to feel lonely. So just because you're alone, they said, doesn't mean that you have to be lonely. And they're talking about how to mitigate loneliness when you're traveling alone. There's a lot of practical articles on here on how to travel better, like how to how to avoid jet lag and what to pack and all of these things, right? Um, What not to pack is the bigger question. Pack, take half of it out after you're done and leave it there. You'll never use it. I've found that to be so true. You just need very little. Anyway, I digress. That's the sermon after the sermon. (laughs) Loneliness, loneliness. The world acknowledged that there's a lot and there's more. There's increasing loneliness. There's more people alone these days. The church, as we read about its nature in the Bible, is all about a deep sense of connection and belonging. I am writing these things to you, said Paul to Timothy, that you may know how you ought to behave in the household of God. It means that Paul is letting us know that in God's house, as in any house, there are some rules and some directions, some regulations. They're God's rules. In fact, that's the whole point of First Timothy is to lay out some structure and some order because families function best when there's a little bit of order, right? Some structure? There has to be. Amen. Yeah. You know what one of my favorite rules is in the house? 
Uh, today's menu, eat it or starve. <laughs> Works for me. Okay, I digress again. The church as a family, with God as father, with Christ as head of the household, means that his children, that's you, that's me, we're brothers and sisters. And not just a temporary relationship, it's an eternal one. That means that we will always be brothers and sisters. You see, right here on this side of heaven is just a warm-up where we're going to spend eternity with the redeemed, perfected family of God forever. So what I want you to do this morning is take a good look at the brother or the sister sitting beside you or behind you or in front of you because you're going to be stuck with them for a long time. Bill's the only one looking around. What? <laughs> Everyone else? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Everyone else is a little too nervous to do this exercise. Like, really? I got to be with that guy for like forever? <laughs> you know, those family gatherings you go to, and there's always that one <laughs> or two. <laughs> so my point is, let's make sure that we get along now, Right? Right? Because there's no escape. At least I sure hope you won't run away. We disagree in our families, but we're family. They say blood runs thicker than water. Well, what are we going to do this morning? We're going to partake of a symbol of Christ's blood. That's the thickest of all, what Jesus did for us. So if you disagree with me, <clears throat> We were joking about that a little bit before the service. That the pastor's usually the problem. He's, you know, he's usually wrong. <laughs> That's okay. Hopefully I won't go anywhere and you won't either. We'll learn how to work it out. So there are challenges, of course, on this side of heaven, just like every family has challenges and dysfunctions. Trust me, you know, we just spent a couple of weeks with family. When you're all under one roof, things don't always go smoothly. But one day that'll all disappear. Amen? We're going to have family dinner. There will be no arguments. There will be no talk about politics and religion. <laughs> it will be about Jesus. It will be, again, Dan, it will be about his glory. That's all that's going to matter. And we'll be partaking in that glory and in the food that he offers with us together as a family for all of eternity. So the Christian life is a, is a, slow, a life of slow growth into Christ-likeness, slowly becoming our true selves, the per perfected selves that Jesus will one day make us into. So my question for you is, are you becoming more and more like family with your church? And you can't do that if you view church as a place that you go to gain some information so you're coming to a Christian lecture with a bunch of people that you don't really know. And so when that's your perspective, then obviously the question is, is church even important? Because I'm going to gain some information. I can get that anywhere. I can get that from a podcast. I can go attend a class at university or seminary. I can, I can read a book. I can do that by myself. I can get great information, and we have so much of it these days. 
So the, so the question for a lot of people is, if I'm not entertained, I won't go. Or if I'm just supposed to sit there, I won't go. V valid. When the church becomes a place to go to consume something instead of a people, a family, to join where I can belong and where I can contribute, then Christians see their absence on Sunday as something that only affects themselves. And that's wrong. It affects everybody. There is value in contributing. That's why people join other organizations, become members of clubs and so on, because they want to feel valued by contributing something to that organization. And the church should be no different. Consuming leads to boredom very quickly. I find not only boredom, but complaining. And I find that people that, with, that have the loudest complaints are the ones who are the least involved. I want to tell you something. If you come and complain to me about something that we're doing or not doing and you're not involved, I will not listen to you. It's that simple. But if you're invested and you're serving and this is your family and you're contributing, I have all the time in the world to listen to you because you value this place and your opinion matters. So we just made a trip to New Brunswick for the addition of our third grandbaby. I can hardly believe that at my age I have three grandchildren. It's so awesome. I just wish that we were still a little closer together, but very thankful for cheaper flights so that we can do this. God bless our family who works for WestJet. It's on record. So now, the thing is, if we had gone to New Brunswick with the mindset of parking our rented car in their yard and parking our butts on the couch and consuming all the food in their fridge and just sitting there for two weeks... Do you think that would have added to the burden of that family or decreased it? Let's get practical, friends. We went there and we, and now I'm not doing this to toot my own horn because I would expect anyone to do this. But we went there and we cooked and we jarred soup and put it in their pantry and we put freezer, meals in the freezer and we shopped for groceries and we cleaned and we wiped bums and changed diapers and we read stories and we put kids down for naps and bedtime and we did errands that they couldn't do and we chopped wood for the winter and we fed chickens and we put gas into their car and we did it because we wanted their lives to be enhanced. We wanted to leave after visiting, knowing they're having a baby, and a lot of these things you just don't, you can't do when you've got a four-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn. <laughs> because that's what families do. So uh, I want to uh, read a quote for you from a person named Chris Kandaya. In Christianity Today, he said, church is a family, not an event. And I, that's an extended quote, so just bear with me. I'll read it fast. The philosopher Donald Schoen coined the term generative, generative metaphor to describe, this is important because we've been talking about metaphor. Our language is important. 
He coined the term generative metaphor to describe how mental images affect the way we approach problems. For example, if a company is described, the metaphor is fragmented, then a new manager may seek to seek integrative solutions, whereas if it is described as multifaceted, then they may actively pursue diversity. Completely different approach. Descriptors, metaphors, and conceptual models can have a profound effect on both how we understand something and how we act. When church is understood as an event, it makes sense to bring event management techniques to bear on the strategies, streamlining processes to maximize attendance, encourage repeat visitation, and increase visitor satisfaction. It is no wonder those who have be those have become key success metrics, even though they bear no resemblance to the way successful churches are presented in the New Testament. What would happen if, instead of a flawed sub-biblical overemphasis on churches and event, where religious goods are dispensed in a transactional arrangement, we were to adopt the generative biblical metaphor of the church's family, that is, the household of God, as the primary influence of our conception and practice of church? Church as a family is not a new metaphor. However, our understanding of church as family may have become so restricted, limited, and skewed that it needs an urgent rethink. This particularly struck me, struck home to me when I was in Kenya uh, listening to a Christian from the north of the country give his testimony. This man became a Christian from a strongly Muslim background, was thrown out of his family, and was ultimately forced to flee for his life. He sought sanctuary in a church that welcomed him with open arms. They gave him a corner of the building to live in with a mattress on the floor and food generously delivered on a daily basis. The man was extremely grateful for their hospitality, but he confided the hardest part of the week was on Sunday morning after the church service when everyone went home to their families and their Sunday lunches, leaving him alone. Although he was welcome to make his home inside the church building, he did not actually feel welcome inside the homes of the church family. This church was so near and yet so far from Christ-like hospitality, the author said. The church building provided shelter, the church members provided sustenance, and the church event provided sacraments and spiritual teaching. But none of those were a substitute for the lifelong intimate commitment of a family. I believe church teaching and sacraments are an important part of church life in the same way that graduation ceremonies and school plays are an important part of your family life. But if I only turned up for those events in my children's lives, you would wonder what kind of parent I was. If I were to define parenting as, re as re remembering to turn up for and photograph my child's sports day, piano recital, and birthday party, you would probably argue that I had a reductionistic and limited understanding of parenting. In the same way, we must understand what God intended by church if we only turn up to Sunday services, Bible studies, and prayer meetings and exclude the Bible's clear teaching of the family responsibility that church members have to love one another, to carry each other's burdens, to encourage one another, and to spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Paul's use of familial language to describe the relationships between Christians in the church community echoes Jesus' own approach. Famously, once when Jesus was teaching and his biological mother and brothers were outside waiting to speak to him, he corrected his disciples stating that his family members were, quote, whoever does the will of my father in heaven. It was his family. 
According to Jesus, those who convert to Christianity at great relational cost will receive many times more brothers, sisters, parents, and children in the present age. How is this possible? It is through the alternative family of the church that we receive relationships that can act as a substitute for those that we've lost. These are mind-blowing ideas. And indeed, the generative metaphor of the church as family has always had explosive consequences and how Christians understand their place in the world. Great quote. So remember, you are not a passive spectator at an event if you belong to the body of Christ, not on the sidelines, but you are an active participant in the family of God. So I encourage you, I urge you, I exhort you to identify how you can plug in to be known to contribute to the family because when you contribute to the family you will find value you will find meaning you will find purpose and you will not be bored trust me I've got a list this long of things that I could find for you to do right now <laughs> you won't be bored because this family needs you it needs you to cook clean shop change diapers read stories cuddle babies, do errands, chop wood, feed chickens, buy groceries, put gas in the car. And here's the thing. I fully recognize that sometimes family is hard and sometimes church is hard. But when we take this seriously, some of our greatest challenges, like suffering, like grieving the loss of someone or something, a career, health, a loved one. Loneliness, singleness. Those challenges become our greatest opportunities to love like the deepest of families love one another, to support one another with a tenacious commitment because we have the deepest bond imaginable. We have Jesus in common. Communion, it's our common union. Okay, let's keep moving. Secondly, Paul said church is the household of God, but it's also the church of the living God. So we are the gathering where God clearly manifests his presence, the church of the living God. And so in the Old Testament, God revealed himself to people in certain ways to, to show that he was a living God compared to the dead idols of the, the, of the nations around them. And so... Um, You've got Jacob's meeting with God at Bethel where there was the stairway to heaven. You've got uh, God's instructions to Moses regarding building of the, the tabernacle and the temple built by Solomon. All of these places, the dwelling place of God where people went to meet with God to Bethel like Jacob went to meet. But it, there's a change that occurs in the New Testament. There's no special city. There's no tabernacle. There's no temple building where God dwells. Instead, now God dwells with his people, not a temple building, but a temple body. He dwells in his people, making us the sanctuary of the living God. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians 6, that the church is you, me, believers in Jesus, are the sanctuary of the living God. In Ephesians 2, it says we are being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. We are the dwelling place of the living God. 
mind-blowing. And because God dwells in us, when we come together, it's as the church of the living God. And, and when we're gathered, because we're indwelt by his spirit, it makes a dynamic assembly of the living God in the context in which God does significant spiritual ministry among us. Do you come to church? Do you come to this place to gather with the church with that mindset that you expect dynamic ministry to happen because God dwells in you? It'll affect how you communicate with someone over that cup of coffee. It'll affect how you greet them. It'll affect how you pray with them. Hopefully you do. Listen, if somebody shares something significant with you, don't just say, you know, that's great, thanks. I'll pray for you. Pull them to a corner and say, I want to pray for you right now. Let's pray for them. It doesn't have to be fancy. Just reiterate what they told you and share it with God. Kent Hughes says this, here's how it works. Listening to the word of God alone is a good thing. Singing to God alone is a good thing. But singing to, to God together and hearing his word preached together is better. Our hearing and singing intensify when we are with brothers and sisters in whom God dwells. Do you find that to be true? I sure do. Heard the story of a good old country preacher. That's where I got my start as a pastor in Saskatchewan and a little country church in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of like Agassiz, I suppose, but this was really rural. We're talking 16 miles in the middle of nowhere, and there's the church, boom, the building, <laughs> the church building, right? People came from all over the place to gather there. Grid roads, that's all we had. So pastor goes to visit a parishioner that he hadn't seen in a while, invited himself in, and the man was sitting in front of his fireplace alone, the pastor just sat in there, pulled up a chair and sat beside him. In in silence, the two of them just watched the fire. And after a while, the pastor got up and took the, uh, the tongs in his hand and took one log and removed it and set it to the side and sat back down. After a while, that log started to flicker. The flame died, it's smoldering, smoking, no longer a flame there at all. He got up and he left the church, or he left his house without saying a word. And guess who showed up in church the next Sunday? <laughs> See, Martin Luther said this, at home in my own house, there is no warmth or vigor in me. But in the church, when the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. We need each other for our growth, our warmth, for that fire to remain kindled within us. And that's why, exactly why the word of God is adamant that the people of God meet together, meet together. No substitutes, no podcasts, no nature walks. That's not church. Those are good, but they're not church. Don't give up the habit of meeting together, said Paul in Hebrews 10. Why? So that we can stir one another up to love and good works. To not, uh, not neglecting to meet one another as, as some are in the habit, but to encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That was in the context that Paul wrote of the days of Nero, the Roman emperor, who would persecute Christians by feeding them to wild animals, literally to be torn to pieces or to be stuck 
on a stake and used as a torch, a lantern in his garden. Paul says, no, 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 you cannot neglect meeting together. Why? Because if you do, you're not going to stir one another up to love and to good works. And you won't receive the encouragement that you need to keep going in your faith. And I, I, I'll bet you more than half of us this morning are having a current challenge in our lives. <laughs> Some pretty significant. That is why you need the church. You need your brothers, your sisters. You need your family to keep going, to be spurred on to love and good deeds, to be encouraged. Francis Chan said, church has to be less like going to the movies and more like going to the gym. <laughs> where we're not spectators just watching something, where we are active participants in working out our faith with each other. Your participation in the church is good for others in the church. It's also for your own good. If, we, if, if you don't show up, other people, you have no opportunity to carry their burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. That's what Paul said in Galatians. Carry each other's burdens. It's good for your church leaders. It's good for me because when you attend regularly, I know who my flock is. I know who to care for. It's good for those outside the church because our commitment to a local body makes a powerful statement in a very low commitment culture. It's countercultural, casual commitment to something versus radical participation. And that leads into the third and final thing that Paul said about the church. It's important because we are the guardians of God's word. He said, we are a pillar and buttress of the truth. There's a picture up here about, of what a buttress is. It's, an, it's a, an architectural structure built against the wall, um, which serves to support and reinforce that wall. More, fairly common on more ancient buildings, so that this buttress would literally provide support to the whole structure. So listen, the source of all truth is God. His word is true. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is the holder of truth, and the church is what promotes and supports that truth. <laughs> We're the ones who declare that truth to the world. Interesting, again, my WestJet magazine uh, Reading through this thing, page six. Saw this ad here. It kind of caught my eye because it says beefier barley. And I went, what's that all about? It's an ad for the University of Alberta. So the U of A, it says this. Climate change will boost Alberta's barley yield with less water feeding more cattle. Okay. And then on the bottom, it says truth is rarely simple. What was true yesterday may not be true tomorrow. Our researchers seek the truth wherever it may lead. And then at the bottom, for this and other complicated truths, visit ualberta.ca slash truthmatters. Truth matters. But it's not the same tomorrow as it was yesterday. <laughs> See, truth matters. People are seeking the truth. And we want to point people to the truth that will never change. Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, forever. His word will not change. 
Being guardians of God's word and his truth means two things. It means that we have the responsibility, first of all, of preserving the gospel. That means we hold it firm. Paul encouraged Timothy and 2 Timothy to preach the word, to be ready in season and out of season. Make sure that you're preserving the gospel. Preach it regularly. Hold it firm. And secondly, the church bears the mission of Jesus in proclaiming the gospel. We hold the truth of Jesus high. And the thing that we ought to focus on above all else is the good news of Jesus. We tell people about the truth and that is Christ himself as revealed in the word, the way, the truth, and the life. If you go on in this text, verse 16, it's kind of interesting how Paul ends this little section. He says, great, uh, so the church being a pillar and buttress of the word, great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He, Jesus, was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, and believed on in the world and taken up into glory. And friends, we have the responsibility to continue to proclaim among the nations the truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel, that people can believe on him. That's why church is important. I have another long quote from Charles Spurgeon, but our so good. Our time is getting short, so I'm going to cut it. I just want to say, I hope that this message has encouraged you to rethink church because this church in particular, Central, as a local expression of God's worldwide church, the universal church, has been instrumental in reestablishing my faith uh, in God, but also in the church by the way it has treated me. In fact, Two, two churches have been so important. Um, I don't have time, but many of you know my story of how I kind of landed on my head in ministry. <laughs> didn't land on my feet. I didn't land on my feet for quite a while. And then uh, after trying to be with God's people a few times, which didn't work so well, um, we ended up at Crossroads Community Church, Chilliwack where through some people who attend there, I was connected uh, to Central. To, to, no, first to the local body of believers in Agassiz that were also struggling to find their way. And we got connected and the rest is history. And I just want to let you know that the culture that exists here at Central is something that I have full confidence of inviting you to fully participate in. We're not perfect. We're a family like any other family. But this is a good family. This is a good family. This is a family that has loved me and provided for me, been generous to me, has given me opportunity to heal, to go for counseling, to extra time when it's needed, to, like, it is just absolutely amazing. And I want to be part of the movement that Jesus established his church. You know, there's weeks when I don't feel like showing up. <laughs> Just being honest with you, there's weeks when I don't feel like showing up. But when we show up, when we get involved, it is always good. I'm always stressed before I preach. And when you get me up here, you can't shut me up. So Ellen, 
I love it. I love this place. I love this family. Tonight we're going to experience some good family dynamics as we carve pumpkins with kids. Pray for us. Pray that families will come out with their children. They'll invite a neighbor. If you, and it's not too late. Call someone up. Buy them a pumpkin. I saw some over there just on the end of Pioneers. You're making your way to Limber Mountain. A whole table full of pumpkins. Go grab a couple of those things. Invite a neighbor here. We're going to have pumpkin pie, hot dogs, root beer floats. It's all about the food, right? But the point is to point to to have people in our community experience a true family and then point them to Jesus through that. That's what we want to do. So I want to be radically centered on the gospel and rooted in the Bible with you. So let's be a family gathered weekly in God's presence, holding the gospel firm and holding it high because we have a common union in Christ. And now as we move to the table, Dan and Carson wanted to come up and lead us. And those who are helping me serve communion, come on up. This here this morning is a powerful, a powerful statement as to whose we are. We are Christ's and we are, we belong to each other. So this morning, if you are, just come and stand here with me. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have accepted personally what he's done for you and you've confessed him as the, the Lord, the leader of your life, received his forgiveness, which is symbolized in this cup, the blood that he shed for us, which is symbolized in this bread, the, his body broken for us in the cross. I, I invite you to partake with this family. And let this time be a reminder of who you're connected to. You're connected to Christ. And as a result, you're connected to everyone else around you. This is a family dinner. So we're going to, as, as we sing a song and reflect, we're going to hand these elements out, both of them at the same time. You'll get a piece of bread. You'll get a little cup. Hold on to them. And we're going to take this meal together as a family upon further instruction. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and for this family that you have instituted on earth to carry on your ministry among us and in the world. And so I pray your blessing upon this family. Lord, you are the head. And we bless you, Father. Let all good things come from you. You want the best for us. You love us. That includes discipline, Lord, because you love us so much. Some of us have been hurt in the church, and I pray this morning, God, that you would heal those hurts, that you would bind up wounds, the injured, that you would give us courage, that you would give us motivation, that you would give us the ability to participate whether we feel like it or not that you would help us to be contributors. Because when we look at what you contributed, what we give, it falls so short. <clears throat> you gave it all. And so we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.